Hey friends, and welcome to the Happy Hour with Jamie Ivey podcast. I'm your host, Jamie, and I'm so glad you're here. Each week on this show, I invite a friend to join me and we chat about the big things in life, the little things in life, and everything in between. Hey, hey, friends, welcome to another edition of the Happy Hour. I'm your host, Jamie, and man, we have a great show in store for you today. My guest is my friend, Bree Strinsrud. Bree's the director of Women of Welcome, which it's a Christian community that pursues Christ-like welcome to immigrants. One thing that I love about my friend Bree is that she has so much experience in many different human justice and advocacy spaces, from protecting the unborn to adoption to a holistic pro-life views and immigration. She leads with compassion. You want to sit and listen to her because she loves Jesus. She loves people and she wants to help other people have compassion towards those that maybe feel different than them. On today's show, we talk about this expanded view of pro-life. And what does that mean to have a holistic pro-life view? She explains why that can be criticized on both sides of the pro-life space, whether that be people who are are mainly advocating for social justice or maybe those who are mainly advocating for the unborn. But she tells us and wants to show us that it can be both and. I think you're going to love this conversation today because you're going to be challenged. You're going to be encouraged. And I just hope that you walk away going, man, that gave me something to think about. In this episode, we talk about an Instagram live that we did back in the fall of 2020. And check out my Instagram page at Jamie Ivy, and we'll be able to make sure you can see that as well. It was a great conversation for us about this whole idea of what it means to be holistically pro-life. I also want to let you know that Women of Welcome has Bible studies out right now that you can check out. We'll have a link to that in our show notes. And if you subscribe to our newsletter, make sure you do that because we have the links in there as well. You can be able to check out their Bible studies that they have, the Ruth and Naomi Bible study and their newest Bible study, which is called Bold and Brave, which just recently released. In fact, you can find all that over on their webpage. Guys, I also want to tell you next week, I'm at Lifeway Women Live and you can live stream it. So if you're looking for a conference with some amazing Bible teachers like Lisa Harper, Jackie Hill Perry, Rucho Simons, Angie Smith, it's just going to be a really, really great weekend. My husband is leading worship there with the Austin Stone Worship Band. You can still get tickets. In fact, April 17th is the date of this. Go to lifeway.com and then look up their event page and you can find it there. All right, friends, here's my conversation with my friend, Bree. Bree, welcome to the happy hour. Hi, thanks for having me. I feel like you should have already been on because, <laughs> well, we had our Instagram live in the fall well, that, that we did. Fun. That was fun. <laughs> and I've done stuff with you in real life, mm-hmm. but your first time to the happy hour. Welcome. I know, this is fun. Thank you. And you're in Austin, Texas because your brother lives here. He does. I love it. So great. Okay, introduce yourself to my listeners, what you do, where you live, all the things. I'm Bree Stensrud. I live in Colorado Springs, Colorado. I am a wife, a mom to little peoples, and I'm the director of Women of Welcome. I was just in Colorado Springs with you recently. Yes, we had a ball. I love your cute little town. Thank you. It's so cute. And I'm going to do a plug because I now I'm a national spokesperson for them. Oh, for Colorado Springs or for kinship? For kinship. Erin <laughs> and I loved that hotel so much. It's adorable and it's locally owned and the people are just amazing. So 
I've given myself the title of national spokesperson. (laughs) They haven't officially reached out. They haven't reached out to my people, but, you know, I'm here waiting for them. Any moment, they're going to reach out to me. I'll make some calls. Yeah, make some calls. (laughs) Bree, I'm so excited about our conversation today because I met you when I went on a trip to the border, Texas-Mexico border, which is what I've told you about this before. I always, when I hear the border, I always just assume Mm Texas-Mexico, but our country has other borders as well. A Mm -hmm. Canadian border, we have Arizona-Mexico, California-Mexico, but we went on a trip to El Paso. Yes. And it was a great trip for me. It was life-changing for me. And I know that your life changed on a trip previous to that. Mm -hmm. So we're going to talk about Women of Welcome and what it is. But first, I want to go back in your world a little bit more. Okay. Is that okay? That's fine. You were a part of pro-life movement, working with an organization. How did you get connected and how did your heart get stirred that I'm going to pour my life into pro-life movement? How did that happen for you? Well, I was working at Focus on the Family, and I was the director of church outreach and community development, and I was enjoying that job. I was loving that job. I'm a pastor's kid, so I grew up in the church, and I knew all the inner workings of who is really the influencer, who's the gatekeeper, all of these things. And so I was really building um, networks and relationships, and we were also doing community development in underserved areas with parenting material, and I was just loving it. That was great. And then my boss asked me, why don't you move over and direct all of our Sanctity of Human Life initiatives? And I thought, great. I love a new challenge. I love to solve problems. Just throw me in. I got it. And she said, but the one thing is you have to be passionate about being pro-life. I said, well, I'm a Christian. (laughs) She said, yeah, I know. But are you like passionate about pro-life issues? And I was a little bit like, well, aren't all Christians really like passionate about the abortion movement? And she was like, you're going to take this job. And I'm also going to mentor you into a biblical definition of what it really means to be pro-life. And so my job was really over the abortion, birth mother, pregnancy resource, medical clinic space and creating resources and content for that whole world. And then also in the foster to adopt space where I was traveling around the country recruiting families for kids who were trapped in foster care, going up and speaking with her and with other you know, subject matter experts in that and recruiting families. And that was great. And it was during that time that I really started to move from this really specific, narrow Webster dictionary definition of what it meant to be pro-life, which was really about being against abortion, to this holistic biblical definition of what it really means to be pro-life. Because once you actually get into the kind of the nitty gritty of working in those human dignity spaces, you see how interconnected they are. And we've talked about this on that IG Live. It's the interconnectedness is vast and it's deep and it's very, very real. And so if you are coming at the pro-life issue as a Christian You're rooted in the fact that you believe in the dignity and sanctity of every human life. And you're rooted in Psalm 139 that says, you together in your mother's womb. You're rooted in Genesis 127 that says, I created man and woman in the image of God. And so those things anchor you. And then you start to think, well, they anchor me in other places other than just the preborn space. Mm -hmm. So you started to have this expanded view mm-hmm. of what it means to be pro-life. Mm-hmm. I've seen over the last couple of years, this expanded view 
happen to a lot of people. Mm-hmm. A lot of people, I've seen the kind of awakening. And honestly, it happened to me mm-hmm. years ago. I mean, I'll give some examples in my own personal life of working and volunteering at a jail mm-hmm. that changes the way you look at our prison system mm-hmm. when you are sitting across the table from a real woman who has, you know, mm-hmm. had family issues and sexual abuse and addiction and the list is long. It changes the way you look at it. When I went with you guys to that trip to the border, it changes the way you look at immigration. And so I've seen in the past couple of years this expanded view. But I guess I want to ask you, that happened to you. It's happened to me. What do you think it takes some time for Mm -hmm. that expanded view to happen? Well, we've talked about this a lot, Jamie, you and I, but proximity is a real big factor in that. I also think that getting out of your echo chamber, and you might not think that you're in one, but if you are constantly defending your position from very common talking points, and you haven't really dug into the depth of those talking points, then you're probably operating from a very safe echo chamber. And that can be dangerous Mm -hmm. because what that does is it never really allows you to take some risk and to trust God with who he is and what he says he can do and what his scriptures say about people. And Jesus was a risk taker. We saw that. And it's one of the things I absolutely love about him. And he risks getting close to people. Mm -hmm. And when you get in close proximity to people, there's power in that. It changes the way that you see people. And so you really just have to think, okay, how am I operating? If I'm operating in a pro-life perspective, am I operating from kind of like a Webster Dictionary definition, which is definitely, you look it up, And it's about being anti-abortion. You'll see a lot of kind of these traditional pro-life folks who are really in the pre-born abortion advocacy space. Mm -hmm. They push back on this holistic definition. They call it like a redefinition of what it means to be pro-life. But I would argue against that in the fact that it's not a redefinition. I mean, if you look back at like Catholic social teachings, Mm -hmm. like this has always been in their teaching. Right. So it's kind of like to the white evangelical community who's been staunchly against abortion, just taking a step back and looking and saying, okay, what really anchors me in the preborn space? Why wouldn't that anchor me or connect me to these other injustices mm. in other human dignity yeah. spaces? Yeah. I feel like, and I hope I'm not speaking out of turn here, and I don't want to be rude or disrespectful to anyone, but to me, it feels easier mm. to be anchored just to the unborn. Right. Rather than having to open up my heart and my care to so many other things, it feels overwhelming. One thing I've been like, praying a lot is like, God, I want you to break my heart for what breaks your heart. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, for me, example of just a current situation in our world right now, last year we saw a lot of racial injustice highlighted Mm -hmm. and that breaks my heart. I have black children, Mm -hmm. you know, just recently we saw our, what happened in Atlanta Mm -hmm. with our Asian American Pacific Island friends. Mm -hmm. And I was saying, God, break my heart for that too. Mm -hmm. I don't have children of that descent. Does that make sense? Yeah. And so that's why I think we as Christians have to be willing to step out of what is unknown to us and ask God to break our heart for that. Right. But here's the common pushback, I guess, to that is, and some of it is well-founded. Well-founded. Let me explain. Okay. Uh, You're like looking at me across the table like, (laughs) what? So here's the deal. So in the traditional pro-life movement, a lot of pushback to becoming holistically pro-life or at least quote, redefining Mm -hmm. that pro-life definition is because those who are advocates for the pre-born space, most of the time, they don't see anybody that's in these other human dignity spaces really speaking out against abortion. Mm. And the reasoning is they'll say, well, it's a very complex issue. You know, it's like, well, so are 
all of these right. other human dignity issues. So you have people who have been in the pro-life movement for so long and advocating for so long. And then there's this other world that's kind of like the social justice mm-hmm. space. And they've kind of been operating in their worlds for so long. And never the two shall meet in the middle, even though they're injustices to all humans. Right. And so you have the preborn folks who are saying, well, the social justice people don't advocate for preborn lives at all. So when you say that you're pro-life, you have to include the preborn. And then the social justice people will say, well, all you care about is getting the baby born. You don't even care about the mother because you vote against this. You don't care about this. You know, it's like baby born on to the next. And I mean, I think where both parties have to be honest is, is that the truth is, is there are a lot of pro-baby, pro-woman activities that happen in the preborn space. There are like about 1,500 pregnancy resource centers and medical clinics across the country that do very much to help mom mm-hmm. on the back end. But what I would say is the intentions are there and they're good and they're great. But most pregnancy resource centers and medical clinics in this country are understaffed and underfunded. And so they can really only, some of the best clinics can really only help mom to age two. Mm. As a mom, you know you've got 16 years left with that child. So to say that you're pro-baby, pro-woman, what does that woman need to raise a child to 18? Mm. And you will have some people who will say, well, it's not my fault. Mm -hmm. I didn't get pregnant, you know, outside of marriage. I didn't do, you know, it's like I'm just saving the baby from whatever consequences, Mm -hmm. you know, it shouldn't be the baby's fault. And so then they just disengage. It's not my fault. You should just, those are the consequences of having sex outside of marriage. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And yet, if we care very much about the heartbeat of that baby, we should be caring about the heartbeat of the mother. Because Mm -hmm. in scripture, there's no elevated vulnerable population that you can just say, well, this one is more important than this one. No, her life matters too. And we need to reckon with the fact that the care and concern that we've had for the birth mom on the opposite side, once birth is done... How do we help her? Mm. Because we want her to have an intact family. We want her to keep her baby. You and I are both adoptive moms. Mm -hmm. We know the trauma that comes with abortion or adoption. It's like adoption is a beautiful God-given thing. I truly, truly believe that. It's very dynamic. It's very complicated. And adoption doesn't necessarily cause a trauma. It's the broken family that is the trauma, right? Okay, so gotten off a little rabbit trail there. So you've got those in the preborn space who are saying, you guys don't advocate for me, but the honesty is is that it's short-sighted in the preborn space. That there's just not a lot of research. A lot of people aren't entering into that and saying, okay, we want to care for mom long-term, mm-hmm. right? So there is some honesty in that of like, okay, do we really care about the mom long-term? Then on the flip side, you have all these people, I saw it during kind of the election season. You have all of these folks who are saying, I'm a pro-life evangelical and I'm voting for Biden. And yet- I would say nearly everybody I read an article who said that, I've never heard them once talk publicly about the abortion issue. So what I'm saying is, mm-hmm. is that the preborn space folks, traditional pro-lifers have a point. Yeah. They're saying, you guys don't advocate for us. Mm-hmm. So we're going to really like hunker down yeah. and try and take care of this because you guys aren't including mm-hmm. us. And then the social justice kind of folks, the holistic pro-life mm-hmm. folks downplay like, oh, that's just a complicated issue, the abortion space. And they don't include that. But we know from science that, you know, human life begins at conception, mm-hmm. conception. So it's that is a human life. So we know that. Location, size, dependency does not equate to value right, of a person. Right. So we have to be consistent on both sides and we have to be fair on both sides. So you're saying they both have valid points. Both have valid points. And I would say, you know, those who push back on that kind of holistic pro-life narrative, there's two concerns that they have. One, they're going to lose momentum in the preborn space if they start including everybody else in that. Mm-hmm. They also have this 
perceived notion that if you become holistically pro-life, that you have to adopt extreme liberal policies politically. And I just don't believe that those, I don't believe that's true. So I just think that together we need each other. We need those who are really bolstered in the social justice space to advocate for, we're better together and vice versa. Yeah. So I think that there is this also group of women Mm -hmm. who you're a part of leading who are actually saying we want to care holistically mm-hmm. and it doesn't mean we're, you know, all of a sudden a flaming liberal, which right. is what you would say, which right. is what would be said about them. Because right. as followers of Jesus, we have to look at who would Jesus consider vulnerable and there's a long list. Long and list. so we can be for all of those people without having to necessarily be a particular party. Mm-hmm. Right. Okay. So that leads me to women of welcome. Mm. So you went on a trip. Yes, I did. You were working in the preborn space. Mm-hmm. Okay. You were working all the things. Yep. How did you end up on this trip? Right. So I was working in the preborn adoption foster care space. And then my family decided to go through the adoption process for my son. So I decided to take a step back and really create space for that. And when we did that, I was approached by some folks who were working with World Relief. And they said, hey, we're we're going on this trip. We're inviting conservative evangelical women on this trip. And we'd love for you to come and get in closer proximity to this issue. Now, in my work that I had been previously doing, I was over content and communications for all of Sanctity of Human Life initiatives. And so I was creating resources that were mentioning, that were having touch points on some of these other things, like racial reconciliation and ministering to immigrants and refugees. But a lot of it was pretty benign. It was kind of like, this is important, mm-hmm. but this is what our scope is over here. But right. these are kind of loosely connected or whatever. So I had been kind of in the content and then the connection space had developed relationships with those who had been in some of these other human dignity buckets. And so they knew that I had left and they're like, why don't you come and take a deeper dive into immigration? I was like, why not? You know, and they're like, oh, and by the way, can we film you? And, <laughs> and I was like, what? And they're like, yeah, we're creating a documentary with Latasha Morrison and Heather McFadden and we're just going to go. I was like, sure. I'm not afraid of a camera. Although now I'm like, wow, like you really see how green I was, and I looked like I got hit by a semi at the end of that trip. But they asked me to go on this trip. I went on this trip, and it rocked my world. And I thought I was being holistically pro-life. I really did. And I thought that I was including it all. And I just, I was broken that I actually really wasn't doing that great of a job. What was it that made that awareness come to you as someone who like you said, you've been in the space for mm-hmm. years and, mm-hmm. you know, you knew about the other buckets mm-hmm. per se. What was it that broke you? I think immigration is a bit out of all of the kind of buckets of human dignity issues. This is one of the most complicated because it's surrounded by politics, like real fiery partisan politics. And so sometimes you think you know what you know about it. And of course, we should be ministering to and caring about immigrants and refugees. But then kind of like how you would do that kind of gets all wrapped up in right, the politics. Right. And it becomes very partisan and very divisive very quickly. So I think that kind of keeps us at a distance because it's safer and you just think, okay, I got that handled. Yes, of course, I love Mm -hmm. refugees, but just come legally, which is a whole nother thing to talk about. So I go on this trip and we visit a shelter for unaccompanied minor children. And they'd either lost their parents on their journey up from the Northern Triangle or they had been left at the shelter by their parents and continued on in the journey. And I kind of approach that like, Who are these parents that would leave their children at a shelter and then, like, continue on to the U.S.? Like, I could never leave my child. 
I'm just thinking this as we're rolling and up. This in this is in Mexico. Yes. We're in Oaxaca, Mexico. Mm-hmm. And I'm, we're like rolling up in this bus and I'm with all these other women and we've got all these questions, but yet we know there are these like young children in there. And they're filming you. And they're filming <laughs> us. But I'm kind of just like, camera's like, whatever. Like, I'm just, I'm really trying to figure this out. And we go in and I've got all these feelings of like judgment kind of, if I'm being super honest, like towards these parents who would leave their kids here. Or how do you get lost from your parent? Like I could only let my daughter cross the street by herself mm-hmm. kind of thing. Anyways, so we go in there and first of all, it was just like a total honor that we even got to go in because like no one gets to go in. The cameras didn't get to go in or anything like that. Well, got in there and I met a 15 year old girl, an 11 year old girl, both with babies. And sometimes people will say, well, how promiscuous of them. And I'm thinking, no child chooses that. To be a mom at 11, no child chooses that. So I'm standing there and watching this 11-year-old hold an eight-day-old baby. That's her own. And I'm seeing this 15-year-old rock an eight-month-old baby. And I literally, I didn't know like how to handle myself. I was just in complete shock. And so what we had learned was that they were violated in their country and their, their mothers were bringing them up to the U.S. for safety. So along the journey, these girls were pregnant. So along the journey, statistically speaking, we know this now, that about 90% of the women who make the journey from the Northern Triangle to the U.S. are sexually abused or assaulted along the journey. 80 to 90%. So, and women are just very vulnerable in general. They're Mm -hmm. fleeing violence. They're fleeing spouses or boyfriends that are abusive. And so they're doing this on their own, right? And a lot of times they're traveling in caravans for safety purposes, not because there's like an invasion happening that they're joining. We're talking about a lot, not all, but a lot of single mothers with Mm -hmm. children in these caravans. So nothing to be afraid of here, folks. (laughs) But, you know, you don't think about that nuance when you're seeing large masses of people coming up to a a gate or a fence. So anyways... Their mother said, and they're on this journey. And so one of the girls was going to be delivering soon. Mm. And her mom's like thinking to herself, there's no way that I'm having trouble feeding my daughter and myself. My daughter is pregnant. We're fleeing. It's not safe. What if my daughter goes into labor on the side of the road? What do I do? How do we care for that baby? Like all these things. And so the best option for her was to leave her at this shelter where she would get fed, where she would be safe, where the baby would get medical care, and she would continue on to try and seek asylum in the U.S. and then send for her daughter. Her 11-year-old daughter. Her 11-year-old daughter. So I'm just thinking to myself, like, I walked in there with so much judgment, like, and a lot of people will say, well, if parents knew that their kids were going to be separated at the border, if they knew they weren't going to be able to be with them or whatever, what kind of parent is that? And I guess the question is, what kind of situation are these people facing that that is a better option? Being separated from my child is a better option than what I could do for them. And it's so drastically better that I'm going to just literally sacrifice every instinct in my entire being to make that decision. And it rocked me. I remember walking into a room where there's all these like clothes that have been donated and whatnot. And I, oh, granted, I'm with a group of women, but I literally was like, I can't handle it. And we're all kind of weeping, but we're trying to like put on a good face for the kids. Like us nice Americans are here and you're not awful children, you're loved. And I just walk into this room, it's a storage room. And I just walk into the corner and I just start bawling like uncontrollably. And the, the leader of the trip she had a co-leader and the co-leader walked in and she goes, oh my gosh, are you okay? Like, she, I'm obviously not okay. And the leader of the trip, she kind of walks in kind of like super casual and she's like, she's fine. She's just grieving what she's missed. Let's just give her a minute. And they both walked out of the room. And that was exactly what it was. I was so grieved that I've been in this movement for so long 
and I'd been advocating holistically for so long, and yet I had missed it so much. And I thought to myself, if my girlfriends could see what I see, they would be so grieved that they've missed it by this much too. And I'm a pastor's kid. I have a super huge heart for the church and the church rising to her calling. And so I'm passionate about when the church misses it. I grieve. Sometimes I sit and I just sob about how much the church has been missing it. And I think this is one of the spaces that they have been. You know, you mentioned earlier about how proximity changes things. Mm-hmm. Not everyone has that opportunity right? to go and witness what you did or to go when I was able to go on a trip with you and witness what I did. Mm-hmm. I think my question for you is how do we as followers of Jesus still engage in this conversation without that proximity? I mean, a lot of people will say, and I thought this too, you know, that there's really no immigrants in my community. There's really, I don't know where they are. And trust me, they're there. It's a quick Google search of, you know, services for immigrants in my local area or something like that. But I mean, not just even about immigrants. I mean, the number one pushback that I get personally from friends and from other church members, as well as folks who are investigating women of welcome is, well, what about prioritizing U.S. needs? What about all these other human dignity buckets you're talking about? What about starving kids in the U.S. who aren't, you know, having lunch unless they go to school and all these things? And I guess my response to that is my passion doesn't have to be your passion. And obviously you can see that I kind of was super like in the preborn space and then the adoption space. And now I'm kind of in this space. I'm like actually really very interested in the prison ministry and justice reform space. Like it's just like I'm keeping my ears open for things, right? To just dive in and learn more about things. But what I would say is, is that in scripture, I think you're very hard pressed to find an elevation of one vulnerable population over another. Now we know in the Old Testament that there's this like quartet of the vulnerable, some scholars call, and it's the widow, the orphan, the immigrant, and the poor. And so there's actually like an elevation of those four vulnerable populations in the Old Testament. Then you get to the New Testament and Jesus is asked, well, Lord, what is you know, what should I be doing with my life? He's like, you're supposed to love God and love others. And we're all in the others category. And so it's like the Lord just kind of like levels the playing field. And he says, your job is to love me and then love others. So what that means is I'm not telling you that your human dignity area, you're the space that you're working in is not as important as this one. What I'm saying is as the body of Christ, if we're operating as we should, we all are different parts of the body. And we talked about this on the IG Live. It's just like, okay, so if you're a hand, I'm not supposed to be a hand. I'm supposed to be a foot. And, right. But in order for the body to function, I need to know what your pain points are. Mm. I need to know how I can support you. Maybe I'm doing really good over here as the hand, but I need to understand my connection point to you down here in the leg or whatever Mm -hmm. that may be. And so that I can either share resources or I can share advocacy or I can make connection points for people so that we, you know, rising tides lift all boats. So we've got to know what everybody else is doing in the body so that we can effectively be the body, but we all don't have to be an eye. We're not supposed to be. And Jesus talks about that quite thoroughly. Mm -hmm. So to me, I would say if we're talking about U.S. needs first, what I would just challenge Christians is to say from a kingdom perspective, we're all on a level playing field. There are no borders from a kingdom perspective. If you are living and breathing human being, you're made in the image of God. And there is no American citizen first in Jesus's eyes. So, of course, our government has obligation to take care of its citizens. Of course, it has obligation to meet the needs of those within its borders. I'm not saying that. I mean, I'm not saying anything against that. What I'm saying is, as Christians, we should not be living in an empire mindset. 
We have to be living in a kingdom mindset because that's what Jesus is going to hold us accountable to when we face him in heaven. So good. So good. And I think it comes down to, for me, and you even said like, hey, I am interested in prison reform. Yeah. You're not about to jump over and become the director of prison reform in Colorado Springs, but you're aware of it and you are for the people that are working in it, Mm -hmm. and you're not automatically assuming things about them because they're not in your space. And I mean, honestly, like if I'm really digging into a certain space or a certain area, you'll start to see the connection point. So for me, and in the immigration space, immigrant detention is a very big thing. And I didn't know that there were bed quotas and that there were private prisons that were making money off housing immigrants that hadn't done anything wrong. They'd done a misdemeanor crossing the border, Mm -hmm. but they were housing them instead of deporting them because they were getting money from the guy. I'm like, whoa, what is this system? Right. I mean, and it's same with like the abortion space and the adoption space. You're just kind of like, all right, so is this a legit adoption agency or is there some human trafficking stuff mm-hmm. going on in here? And then you start getting connected to that. And then, you know, we talked about this is like if people don't adopt children from the foster care space, they age out and then they're part of either the prison, homeless, mentally ill world, or they're, they're trafficked. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, there's a pipeline yep. that happens. And so you just start to understand how interconnected it is. And you say, okay, so My issue has some legs, some Mm. tentacles that reach into some other issues that I should probably be doing some due diligence in when I have time. And I know that's hard, especially if you're a mom with little people and you're just like, I can't read. I mean, every time Jamie posts, like, I'm reading this book, I'm like, (laughs) how is she reading another book? I literally cannot, like, keep up. But that's not my job. My job is to just, I'm in a season. I'm doing the best I can. You're doing the best that you can. And a lot of times that means you're just in a season of listening Mm -hmm. really well. You guys, in January of 2024, I made a commitment to myself. I wanted to get stronger, which meant I needed to get in the gym, which means I needed to move my body in different ways. You guys know I love to walk. Well, it's spring, and spring is the best time for us to start a new workout routine. It's our yearly collective warm-up, and Peloton is here for everyone's yearly warm-up. This is the best time to get into a good rhythm, to tap into your power, and build towards your summer you. I love my Peloton. It accommodates to my schedule with a variety of class links to choose from. I can choose a 30-minute class. I can choose a 45-minute class. If you only have five minutes, there's literally a class to get you moving your body in five minutes. Peloton has a range of class types fit for every goal and every mood. There are classes if you want to hear country music, if you want to hear uh, rock, if you want to go back to the 80s. If you can't run, take a walking class. Need some grounding? Try yoga. If you want to level up, go for their Pilates or HIIT workouts. Here's what I love is that you can move at your own pace. And that is what I'm learning that my body needs right now. It needs to move at its own pace. Peloton makes the process easier with personalized recommendations and guided programs that take all the guesswork out of working out. You guys, we think about so many things during the day. Let's take the guesswork out. Let's jump right in and let's keep our fitness journey fresh every single day. Peloton has everything you need to get you where you're going. Whether you prefer to run outdoors, row or ride at home, or strength train at the gym, Peloton has something for you. I personally love a good 45-minute hip-hop class. It gets me moving. It gets me excited. It's my favorite genre of music, just ask my kids. Get a head start on summer with Peloton at OnePeloton.com. That's OnePeloton.com. 
I love that. And that's one of the things that I want to talk about what y'all do at Women of Welcome. I mean, your tagline is a Christian community pursuing compassion and Christ-like welcome toward immigrants and refugees. And honestly, living here in Texas, we talk about this a lot here in our state because we have a really big border with Mexico. Yeah, you do. And so it's something that is talked about a lot in my own personal community and where I live. And I think sometimes I think as Christians, it can feel so other, not far away, far away. Honestly, my life is not daily affected by immigrants and refugees and whether the border is open or close. Right. I could actually, if I didn't know you and I didn't care about this issue, could go my whole day and never even think about what's happening at the border. And so for me, I think even just this conversation and what you guys are doing, which I want to get into that, is so helpful because it brings needs to the forefront that we honestly might not see in our everyday life. Mm -hmm. And that's important for me as a follower of Jesus, because like you said, we're kingdom minded and every single person is made in the image of God. Mm -hmm. And so if that's happening, I care about it from the standpoint of that's one of God's people. Like God created that person. Mm -hmm. And so it should matter. So let's jump forward to you went on the trip. Mm Mm-hmm. Then they ask you to lead an organization. Right. So I'm just kind of dabbling with Women of Welcome a little bit. And then they asked me to go on this trip. And then I come back from the trip and they're like, we really need a director for the project. Would you be the director? And I'm thinking, I'm sorry. I like haven't even unpacked my suitcase. (laughs) And did you see me in the storage closet? (laughs) Did you see me lose my whole mind in the storage closet? And they're like, yeah, we did. That's part of the reason why. And so I was like, I need a minute. And I'm so overwhelmed by all of this. And again, I think I was really grieved. I was trying to like figure out how to lament something that I didn't even really know was a big issue. Mm -hmm. I thought, again, it was just legal or illegal. I thought it had nothing to do with race. And if that piques your interest, that's a whole nother podcast. But I mean, I never thought that it has nothing to do with race, which is what a lot of white women would say about any issue that they see come up. That, that has nothing to do with race. And when you dig into it, you realize there's all these connotations. There's an undercurrent mm-hmm. that's happening that has influenced where we are today. Mm-hmm. So I get asked to do this. I just decide, Jesus, if you want me to do this, and it was like everything was like, boom, everything else was kind of like closing all these other things in the pro-life space that I was kind of being asked to do or looked to do was kind of like, eh, this might not be. And then it was like, okay, this is it. So I just said yes. And I've been on a journey much like our audience has been for about two years now. Can you tell me, explain to me, Women of Welcome is under, give me all of the things that All the things. Yeah. Okay. So this might be interesting to know, but like back in 2016, World Relief and the National Immigration Forum. Now, for those of you who don't know who the National Immigration Forum is, they're a nonpartisan advocacy group for immigrants out of Washington, D.C. And so they do a lot of immigrant refugee work, and World Relief is a friend of theirs. And so the two of them got together and they commissioned a study with LifeWay research about what are the attitudes of evangelicals towards immigrants and refugees, because we're seeing a lot of very harsh rhetoric and kind of a lot of fear being stoked and stirred about refugees that were coming over really from kind of the Middle East and from Africa, predominantly Muslim countries. And, you know, when you think about immigration, a lot of people just think the southern border, but it's a global situation happening. I mean, it really is. So a lot of our headlines are mostly about the southern border. But anyways, the two of them got together, commissioned the study by LifeWay. And what they found out is what they sadly thought was going to, come, you know, bear fruit. And that is that white evangelical men and and pastors weren't talking about this. They were very partisan in their politics about it. And that was kind of what they were addressing it from a political angle, mm-hmm. not a biblical one. And so, but so they're like, all right, this, how bad is it basically was mm-hmm. the assessment. But then what they found surprising was this pocket of women, educated women 
who had compassion towards immigrants and refugees. They weren't in the same space. They were curious. And then upon further digging, no one was talking to them. Mm. So their pastor wasn't preaching about it from the pulpit. Their husband wasn't talking about it. If he was, he was incredibly hostile about it and was very just like party line to the party line. And so no one was talking to these women, but they were mothers and they were seeing these other mothers and they were like, I don't know where to go. And there was no safe place for them. So World Relief developed a Bible study called Ruth and Naomi. And it's a study we still have. It's been downloaded over 110,000 downloads we have on that. It's a free study. And uh, they put that out there just to say, okay, do these women really exist? This is what the research said. LifeWise telling us this is what it is. And they did. (laughs) And so all of a sudden, like instantly, 35,000 women showed up in a Facebook group off of this study. And then it's grown to that. So we have about 150,000 women in the community right now. And we're on mostly, we're pretty big on Facebook, but we're on Instagram as well. And we have a private Facebook group for women who just want to ask questions and not be trolled. And so we have a public group that's kind of like, all right, here's the general information. And then if you really want to go deeper, we have this private group. So here we are, just women, you know, we're a group of women who is trying to disciple other women into biblical hospitality and Christ-like welcome towards immigrants and refugees. I love it. You know, I'm such a big fan of what you guys are doing. (laughs) And you have another Bible study coming out too that we'll talk about uh, this month in April. But I want to ask, leading this group, and I mean, you've got over 125,000 women who are potentially saying, I'm interested in learning more Mm -hmm. because they're in that first step group Mm -hmm. on my Facebook. I'm interested in learning more. I think that is a real big indicator that, like we said earlier, that women are going, hey, I want to listen. I want to learn. I want to think deeper about this than I've ever been taught, especially, and we're speaking about women who've like in the church, conservative, evangelical women. Totally. And so what have you seen throughout these last (laughs) two years? Like when you look back and you're like, man, can you think of some things where you've really seen growth in either your own life or in the group? Or what has that been like for you? It's been a ride, I will tell you. Discipleship is the long game. It's not this flip and turn, you know, and until you can actually get in close proximities. And for some still, that is a hard thing. We've seen some folks, kind of influencers in the media have gone down to the border and then been like, yeah, nothing really changed. It's like, okay, well, I wonder who you are letting Mm -hmm. take you to those trusted places. But in any case, it's just been a wild ride. And I mean, there was one woman who sticks out to me all the time. And Carla, if you're listening, I'm sorry, I have to tell your story because it's just, you've given me permission. So that's what's giving me comfort right now (laughs) to say it. But Carla, she's an older woman. And Jenny Yang and I were speaking at a Dallas event at DBU. And we were both talking about the subject matter. And after the event, this woman comes up, Carla, and she looks very much like my mother. You know, she's older, she's white, she's just sweet and kind. And she goes, oh, I just had to come to the event. I saw you and Jenny posting about it, I had to come. And we were like, oh, so nice to meet you. She said, I just want to tell you, I watched the film, which is called Who is Welcome Here? And it's on our YouTube channel. It's 40 minutes long, it's a 40 minute documentary. She goes, I watched the film. And I couldn't go on your trip. Your trip closed up. Women are welcome before COVID would take women down to the border and take trips. And we're going to open that back up once COVID is all lifted. So stay tuned. It's worth it. It's worth it. (laughs) So stay tuned. She goes, I couldn't wait. So I took two of my girlfriends. We went down to the border ourselves. (laughs) Carla. Carla. (laughs) I'm like, really? She goes, yeah. And I just tell you, like, I can't even, like, I came back to my church. I've downloaded. I've watched everything you've ever done. I've downloaded all the studies. I went to my church, asked them if I could start a small group. I've been handing my pastor things from World Relief so that he can have sermon prep for it. And she's like, my heart has been lit on fire. And I never knew. Mm. And I said, oh my gosh, that's amazing. And she goes, that's really lonely. And I was like, oh. Carla, it is, isn't it? You know, her family has really struggled with her developing a heart and a deepening compassion for this population. And that's the thing, is that women have compassion. 
And so all we're doing at Women of Welcome, we're not trying to get you to point A to point Z. We have no agenda other than to invite you to dive into the whole of scripture and understand God's heart for immigrants and refugees. That's the litmus test, really. If you have compassion, no one's trying to get you on a track. This is the long game of discipleship into this space. And so what that means is, is you're going to confront people in your family, people in your church, people in your community who are not going to understand what the love of God compels you to do, but you should do it anyway. Mm. And I remember Sheila Walsh saying that one time, and it's always stuck with me. It's like, the love of God will compel you to do things that people won't understand. Do it anyway. And that's what Carla has been doing. That's what thousands of women in our community do. And you know what? There has been fractured relationships because of it. There's been marital strife because of it. And you're like, I'm not trying to invite all that into my life. What I'm telling you is that if we don't glorify God in this space, you know, the rocks are going to cry out. You know, if we don't enter into these spaces to see people as God sees them, he's going to ask us about it because Matthew 25 is very clear about that. Lord, when did we see you when you were hungry, when you were naked, when you were in prison, when you, all of these things, all these vulnerable places, Lord, we did not see you. And he's like, yeah, you did. That was me in all these places and you denied me compassion. And when we look at Jesus all throughout the scriptures, he's constantly moved to compassion. I know he's doing the sermon on the mountain and like, it's like his disciples come up. He's like, it's lunchtime. Everybody's really hungry and starving. We, there's no way we can feed all these people. And he's like, should we just tell them to go back home? And Jesus says, no, you feed them. And I'm sure the disciples are like, what? We're standing here on the side of right. a mountain. We have nothing. And Jesus is like, Ugh. I mean, they're, they're sitting with God and they're feeling like everything is impossible. And sometimes how I feel like how the church is, you know, we're sitting in this intimate relationship with the Lord, and we feel like resources are scarce. We feel like our compassion has to be limited because if we exude compassion over here, then then what about, well, then you can have compassion over here as well. I mean, when we choose to honor life holistically, I don't think that that makes the resources of God scarce. I think that brings upon blessing. Mm -hmm. And the Lord says, I'm going to honor you because you honored me in these people. And when we all know the story, it's like they bring what they have, and by the way, we're like the wealthiest nation on the earth. So we bring what we have and the Lord just multiplies it. Yeah. And then there were baskets left over. Yeah. Yep. So I would say that a lot of women have experienced a lot of, I'll just be honest, a lot of pain. When you enter into human dignity spaces that are complex and complicated, people will not understand. Mm. And that could be your spouse. That could be your sister. That could be your best friend. And that could be your pastor. And we have a lot of messages from women who say, I feel so alone, but I just feel compelled. Yeah. And so we're in a safe space to say, all right, you know what? Let's just take this one day at a time. You don't need to blow up everything, yeah. but let's pray together. Mm. Let's pray for the Holy Spirit to move because you are not the Holy Spirit and neither am I. And you know what? You're not going to, you can drag someone to the border wall and be like, look, you know, you're not the Holy Spirit. Yeah. The Holy Spirit is going to move and you're going to have to trust him to do yeah. it. So I think women are hungry. Mm. They're very hungry to be brave, yeah. and they're very compelled to be bold, mm -hmm. and we're a space that's going to allow you to do that. And yeah. there's plenty of other spaces to do that. I mean, you work in all these other places. I volunteer at a, a homeless shelter for women. I were in the preborn space still and whatnot. So it's like it's not like you have to like pick up or blow up everything else. Yeah. It's just be diligent. Keep your ears open and pray about yeah. where the Lord wants you to enter. And it might not be the immigrant space, and that's fine. But just keep your ears open because it's all interconnected somehow. Yeah. I think one of the things we've seen, especially in the last four years, is this idea of attaching human dignity issues to political parties. Mm. 
And so I don't think that's surprising to anyone. And I think that that has been a struggle for people. And I honestly think when you're sitting here talking about, you know, even Carla saying that this is lonely and people saying my husband doesn't understand, my pastor doesn't understand. I think what I'm always trying to do and always trying to encourage women to do as well is that compassion towards people is never political. Mm. We have politics and you know what? Politics make policies and policies influence people. So they're good and we Mm -hmm. need people in those spaces. And you work with people who are in the policy spaces and we need that. But I think so many times women have been taught to think if I care for immigrants, then I must just want open borders and who cares about my safety. Right. Yeah. Well, which is a huge narrative right now with the new administration is like, okay, it's now unregulated and unmitigated immigration into the country. Like we're seeing just loads of people come into the country. And it's like, well, the real story is, is that we don't have unregulated and unmitigated immigration into the country, that the country is still effectively closed under a a public health code, Title 42. Mm -hmm. So there's, and I did kind of a whole summary on this about what's really going on right now and what is going to probably continue to go on for the next six to eight months to 12 months because of just the dynamic that is going on down there. Because of COVID. Well, the border is closed because of of COVID right now, effective. Yeah. Yeah. So there Mm -hmm. are some vulnerable groups that are being let in, but again, thoroughly vetted, thoroughly tested. And if you want, there's a whole video on that. I know. But. We'll link to all of the videos for <laughs> sure. We'll do that as well. Brie, I want to ask you this too. This new study that you guys have coming out, tell me what it's called and what's it about. It's called Bold and Brave, and it's about the women who protected Moses and saved a nation. Mm. And it's my favorite one we've done so far. So we have the Ruth and Naomi study, which is kind of like an immigration primer, like what does the Bible say about immigration? And it pairs with a book called Welcoming the Stranger that Jenny Yang and Matthew Sorens wrote. And then we wrote In Pursuit of Peace. In Pursuit of Peace is just how do you become a peacemaker, move from that peacekeeper role to a peacemaker role. We obviously have our Who is Welcome Here film, which has a discussion guide and a church viewing guide to go with that. All of these things are free on our website. And then in April this month, we had just launched our Bold and Brave study. And you're going to follow the midwives. You're going to follow Miriam and Jochebed, who's Moses' mother. And then you're going to learn about Pharaoh's daughter. And just all of the places that these women found themselves in were places where they probably should have remained safe and silent. And yet what they did is they chose to fear God Mm. instead of anything else around them their families, their communities, the king. (laughs) And they ended up, they didn't probably know this at the time, but they ended up saving an entire nation of people. And that's the nation of Israel. It's God's people. So when you think about what women have the power to do when they're moved by their compassion, they have the power to be bold and to be brave. And saving one child, you never know what God is going to do when you help save one child. Mm. That could be from abortion. That could be from entering out of the foster care system by themselves. That could be a child at the border. It could be from trafficking. Whatever that may be, you have no idea the sovereignty of God and what his plans are when you decide to just faithfully show up and try and be brave Mm. and choose to be bold. And that's what this study is about, is choosing, choosing to be brave. And that doesn't mean that you aren't scared. It just means you saddle up anyway. Yeah, You enter into courage and you say, all right. I'm going to enter into this with a lot of fear and trembling, but God is bigger than my fear. Mm. I'm going to do it anyway. And it's worth it. Isn't it? <laughs> I mean, it really it is. It is worth it, even the hard conversations. I've even, not regretted it. <laughs> I mean, yeah, it's crazy. I had an experience like your experience in the storage building, but it was different. It was here in Austin, and a woman drove me around in a car. There was like six or seven of us and pointed out a bunch of brothels in my city. Oh, gosh. Where women were trafficked. Oh, Lord. 
And at the time where I lived, there was one literally a minute and a half from my house. And so she took us all around. And I mean, it was like I was just seeing something I never even thought right. was in America you at this point in my life. Day, yeah, yeah. drive out every day. And I got out of the car with her and I looked at her and I said, honestly, I wish I would have never come on this car ride with you because now I know. I can't unsee it. I can't it. unsee it. I can't unknow it. And so, you know, it's changed me. And I'm not like working in the, you know, human trafficking. Right. But I'm aware of it. Aware. I know it. I am an advocate for those who are doing that. And I think that's what you guys do so well. So if someone wants to learn more, mm-hmm. what are their first steps? I would definitely either, if you're on Facebook or Instagram, wherever you are, we have a YouTube channel as well where all of our videos go. So if you just want to subscribe to videos that we do, we do monthly webinars, we do weekly FAQ questions, you know, how do people legally come into the country? How do we protect our borders? What are our vetting processes? Like we answer, what are asylum seekers versus refugees versus immigrants versus so migrants? Much. There's so I mean, much. literally my brain, <laughs> when I went with you all on the trip, I think I asked the same questions because I was like, I just cannot wrap my brain around it's very complicated. all of this information. Yeah. It's complex, you know, like lot of human dignity spaces but i think this one is a bit more complex because of the politics and just because it's a lot it's a lot so what i would say is i would definitely follow us on whatever social platform you're on if you're not on a social platform subscribe on youtube or you can subscribe to our newsletter so every week there's like kind of a recap of what happened on social and we are launching this month connect groups where you can have a bible study group with that's open or closed you can host a group or you can join a group we'll be starting prayer groups and advocacy groups this summer so you can actually plug in and start to learn from other women in those spaces but i would say you know if you're like privately kind of like yeah, i care but this, i just kind of need to keep this quiet <laughs> right now like i get it that's fine download a study it's free like you're not going to get inundated with all these things just go through the study read through your bible pray about it i'm not here to convince you of anything that is thankfully not my job i have zero pressure to convince anything of anybody but if you have compassion we're here to help disciple you Mm. into a journey into a journey you don't we're not trying to get you anywhere we're just trying to not leave you where you are i like that so because i don't want to be where i was 10 years ago (sighs) Neither do I. I don't want to be where I was. Twenty. I mean, I look back on my life and I'm like, I am so grateful for the people who've stepped into my life and taught me. And that's what I would encourage people to. If you're like, I just feel kind of dumb about this. or I'm going to say the wrong thing. You are. I mean, like <laughs> you are. And so I've had people in my life that have walked me through different areas and I know more about them now because of them. And so that's what you guys are doing. Bree, thank you. Thanks for having me. I'm such a fan of y'all's work and what you're doing. I'm cheering you on over here. Okay, so you mentioned earlier that you guys had taken trips, mm-hmm. and I've been on a trip with you guys, yes. which was so good and life-changing. Are y'all going to offer that back up again? Yes. So COVID obviously put a nix on just about anything yeah. that was close in proximity <laughs> yeah. to people. So really the cadence of Women of Welcome is that every spring and every fall, we come out with a new Bible study that's free for you to download and engage with. And then we will be working back up to our cadence of taking women to the border. So that would be groups of women that would go in the spring and the summer and the fall, and we would take you to the border. Now, the border dynamic is probably going to change a little bit with this current administration. So it might look like we would take trips to the Northern Triangle. And that sounds... Can you say what that is? Because there's some people that don't know that. So the Northern Triangle is south of Mexico. It's El Salvador, Honduras, and Guatemala. And so that is where a huge push of these migrants are coming from because there's huge crime rates, capita rates. They're always... These countries have been in competition over the last decade 
you know, in the top five of murder per capita. And they've been devastated by two Category 4 hurricanes just this last November. So farming and economic opportunity is hard. Corruption is all-time high. So you have this real lack of opportunity and people who are saying, I can't even afford to feed my family. Mm -hmm. And so they're migrating to try and figure out, which migration is not a new concept. We see that all throughout Scripture. People are migrating all over the place. So that being said, we're going to take trips. What they look like, they could be to the border, depending on what's happening at the border, and they could be into the Northern Triangle. They could be into Mexico like we did. And those, again, are trips that you have to show up with some bravery. You have to step in with one foot of maybe some fear and the other one with courage. And you just say, Lord, what do you want yeah. from me in this space? And you might come back and just say, I'm not going to dive in 100%. We've taken a lot of women, a lot of influencers down there that we don't promote because you know they're trying to figure it out themselves. Mm-hmm. We have a lot of influencers who have come with us and they've been like, okay, I need to quietly figure this out. Yeah. It's like, great. Yeah. We're not going to post one thing about it with you mm-hmm. on social. Yeah. And so just know that there are prominent Christian women who are really trying to enter into this journey well, yeah. too. And you can do it, too. So, yes, we're starting those back up. So look for those, hopefully, this fall or next spring. Oh. <laughs> COVID, come on. Come on. I'm so ready to be able to talk about trips again. That's so crazy. You know, one of the craziest things that I've felt when I was on the trip with you guys, and I recently told you about this, was when we sat down and talked to some Border Patrol agents. Yeah, tell me about that again. Well, I came in really like, these guys are the bad guys. (laughs) Right. I mean, no, like you... Or some people think they're the good guys. Exactly. But that's where I'm saying. I came in like, you're responsible for doing all these things that we've seen in the media, right? right? Not really was I like angry at them. I just had a perceived notion about... A border patrol agent. But I think a lot of the women on the trip were like, I'm going to ask these guys some questions. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I left that meeting that we had with them with a million more questions right. and a lot of compassion towards them. Right. Because these men and women that we spoke to are doing the best that they can with what they have. For the most part, we're generalizing. Right. Like, you know, Broad strokes, yeah. Broad strokes. But they're doing the best they can with what they have, with what they have been yeah. set up to do, what they've been told to do. And so I just think that it's just to encourage someone if you're thinking about a trip, like you can come in with all these preconceived ideas, notions, the same way that you did when you yeah. walked into that shelter. It was like, what kind of mom yeah. would what leave kind their of kid mom? here? And then I was like, <sighs> yeah, yeah. The best kind of mom. Right. Right. Tell me about the conversation you had with Carlos in the shelter, because you were there in that shelter. What was like the biggest takeaway from your trip? I'm super interested. Yeah. So we were just right over the border in Mexico. So we weren't down where you were. Yeah, in Juarez. And we went to a shelter and he had traveled up by himself alone. This man that we met, Carlos, from El Salvador, I believe. So he had traveled up and we sat down and we talked to him and he kind of shared his story with us. And at this point, because Remain in Mexico was happening, but he would have to go and get a number and wait for his time. The reason that that was so difficult for him and so many other migrants is because then they were just kind of in limbo, like yeah. just kind of stuck. They weren't being processed. They weren't being processed. And so he was at a shelter and he told us his story about he is a dad mm-hmm. and a husband. Mm-hmm. And in his building where he lived, mm-hmm. a neighbor next door, a girl was being assaulted. and Repeatedly. Like repeatedly he could tell, assaulted. Like they knew she was being sexually abused. Yes. And so he reported this to the police. And that person that was abusing this little girl was a part of a, a gang. And so right. then his life was now on the line. Right. He actually busted down the door to stop the abuse from happening. (laughs) He said, I'm a Christian man. I'm a father. Yeah. And he busted down the door and his brother went to go get the police. Well, 
this guy was a gang member. He was a gang member. So, And so he had to leave for the safety of his family. Mm-hmm. And so you would think, like, how would a man leave his family? Well, he was leaving on a journey because he was endangering his family. And so he was on his way. And I remember one of the things he said is that his wife was pregnant when he left. Oh. And on his journey, his wife had had their baby and he had never met their baby. And that was profound to me because I thought it must be so difficult that he's willing to leave his wife at home with his now three children. But the most profound thing that he said was someone asked him, do you regret saving that little saving girl? That little girl? Uh, because it, it quote unquote ruined his life. I mean, not really. But yeah. He had to leave, strain, yeah, he had to leave his family. Yeah. And he said, no, he would do it all over again. Because he saved her life. And he's a Christian, like he told us. Mm-hmm. And again, proximity. He's not just a man at the border trying to get in. He's a man who is a follower of Jesus, who saved a girl's life and had to leave his family because he was in danger and his family was in danger. I'll never look at a line of single men standing by a fence or by the border ever the same. Not that all everybody that's wanting to come into the country should or that they're all Christians or anything, but I will never look at a line of single men trying to come into the country the same because of his story. It's like he individualized Mm -hmm. those men. Like Some of them are fathers. Some of them are husbands. Some of them are just... They're following the biblical mandate. If you don't provide for your family, yeah. then you are worse than someone. Yeah. <laughs> it's like there is these mm-hmm. nuances yeah. for us to have. Yeah. For sure. That was one of my most favorite moments was when he said he would do it all over again, <sighs> which was really big and, and you know, transforming for me to think about. Because um, would you? Right. And he was telling us that he was really struggling. Like every time he called his wife, she was just like, you're not here. It's so hard. I'm raising two kids by myself. What are you doing? You know, and he was like, there's all these problems and challenges in my life Mm -hmm. because I entered into a a hard space and I put my life on the line for this girl. And yet he said, I would do it. again. I would do it again because I trust that God is going to honor that. Yeah, that was good. All right, Bree. Well, thank you so much. (laughs) Guys, if you're listening and you're like, I could not write down fast enough, don't forget, we'll put all these resources up in the show notes that you can find them. And we'll link to your YouTube stuff so they can see videos, Instagram, Facebook. I'll link to that Instagram live that we did in the fall, which was so good. Um, (laughs) We were both sweating. We're like, okay, we're going to talk about being holistically pro-life. Let's go there. Let's go there. Yeah. And you know what? That was actually my first entrance into feeling the pressure of someone not agreeing with the holistic pro-life. Honestly, like I just am like, isn't that what we do? We follow Jesus. Like we care about all lives. But that was the first time, even when I got some pushback to go like, oh, wait, that's not how everyone sees that's this. not how everyone sees it. Which was an, an eye-opening experience for me. So thank you for bringing me into that <laughs> as well. You're basically my eye-opening experience, friend, with um, human dignity issues. So Bree, thanks for coming. Thank you. All right, friends, I am so thankful for Bree's passion in the space that she's working in and her commitment to following Christ's calling on our life to be compassionate towards people that are made in the image of God, which is everybody. Bree is such a leader to me in this space. She's such a teacher to me. I hope today that you have felt that as well. Don't forget, you can follow Women of Welcome on their Facebook page, on their Instagram page. And while you're at it, if you're not following me on Instagram, I'd love to be friends over there. Go find me on Instagram at Jamie Ivy. Today's show was edited by the team at Podshaper. The music was developed for the show by Matt Graham. Show notes are written by Abigail Castell and the whole thing's put together by Lindsay Sweeney. I'm your host, Jamie. And I'm so honored that you would spend this time with us today. Have a happy hour with a friend. Send someone a text and tell them that you're thinking of them. Just a small text means a lot. All right, guys, we'll see you next time.